Welcome back to the show, everyone. It's Gabrielle here, and at Up Next, as you know, we love to feature the voices and the stories of the next generation. And typically, we don't cover breaking news. We typically cover stories and and more of a biographical content. But something happened over this past weekend where I, I really felt led that we had to cover it. There was an event that happened that is really going to shape the next generation, I, I think, more than we even know. It's something that happened that some people have very strong opinions on, and, and some, particularly in our generation, don't really see the real impact of how it will touch them each and every day. However, I have a guest with me today who we both agree that this is a fundamental event that I believe will bring in a new generation of freedom. Of course, I'm talking about the event of the death of Fidel Castro, the Cuban dictator who died on Friday, and Saturday morning, the entire world woke up to the news. I'm having with us today Elena Ramirez Richardson, and Elena is a friend of Up Next. She's been on the show before to talk about the impact of millennial Latinos around the country, not only on the policy sense, but really about what the impact socioeconomically, spiritually, and even more so will have on this country. But I've asked Elena to come on and not only share what her perspective is on this incredible event that happened, but Elena is a friend of mine, and I remember on Facebook waking up on Saturday after I heard the news and I was checking her feed somewhat stockishly uh, to see what, what she had to say. And it was really such a profound response that I asked her to come on the show with us today to share her story as someone who is the daughter of a Cuban refugee who has fought so hard for a better life in this country and who has taught Elena and her brother the true principles of freedom. So Elena is with us. She's with the Heritage Foundation. We've had her on the show before. She is an incredible rock star, uh, an incredible leader, and a voice for our generation in so many ways. So Elena, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Gabrielle. It's uh, it's an honor to be talking, talking on this topic, but uh, something that's really close to my heart. It is. So tell me what happened when you found out. So it's Saturday morning, you woke up. It was right after Thanksgiving. I'm sure you were with your family. What were the first couple of thoughts that came through your mind? Well, first and foremost, I think, you know, is this real? Uh, you know, being raised in Miami, Florida, I had heard a lot of speculation in regards to whether Fidel had, Castro had died a number of times. And I can tell you there were uh, maybe two or three times that my family and I were, were going ready to, uh, were ready to go to the coffee uh, we call it the coffee window, La Vintanita, uh, at Versailles, which is where you saw a lot of the celebrations being happened. And it's not in regards to celebrating a death, but it's more so of celebrating liberty, that we're one step closer to seeing a freer Cuba. On that day, it was a Saturday morning, my family and I had actually, uh, you know, on uh, celebrating just, you know, a fellowship and time together on Friday, went to sleep a little early and I awoke at five o'clock in the morning to tons of text messages uh, talking about the news and talking about how we need to have a celebration uh, with tons of families that were in the Northern Virginia area, um, families that had come up from Miami. And I knocked on my parents' door and I told them the news. And my dad, 
um, you know, jumped out of bed and gave me the biggest hug I have ever received from my dad. And just to put this into perspective, my father was born in Cuba and was forced to leave in 1962 at the age of 19 when Fidel Castro began his violent revolution. Um, the violent revolution started about 59. And so my grandmother actually tried leaving Cuba on, uh, on that day in 1962, but she was actually forced to choose who could get on the plane. It was either her or her children. And the choice was, was very easy for her. My grandmother returned to her home in Havana to see that there was a seal over her door that read property of the state. And it was clear that, a uh, you know, an inventory of her entire home had been taken. And, uh, if she were to do anything to get back into her home, it'd be considered a federal crime. So it would take her eight months to be reunited with her children. And my dad tells me these stories, you know, I heard about it from my grandmother herself, but having directly experienced a totalitarian government, my family truly taught me the value of not only private property rights and economic freedom, but of real liberty. The American dream to them was more about finding a career. It was truly the direct rebuke of the failures of an overgrown state and uh, the desire of liberty was one that my dad would always talk to me about and would always, you know, talk to me about the importance of voting, talk to me about the importance of, you know, being an engaged citizen. And it's not only their story, it's my story. So being raised with those values of freedom, and the realization that freedom can be taken away is something that I work to, to you know, fight for every day. And it's that appreciation of what you're talking about, of freedom of liberty, of opportunity that I believe many in our generation, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, many of us have lost. I think that there is uh, a silent majority even in our generation. You see it now with your work at Heritage of, of a generation that does see the importance of us not only protecting those freedoms for our generation, but for, for generations to come. But with the death of Fidel Castro in Cuba, his brother is still in charge, and it's predicted that he's going to be retiring by 2018. What does this mean for the future of the Cuban people, not only still in Cuba, but those who have uh, become part of the American fabric? And, you know, when it comes down to speculation of whether or not Raul Castro will be retiring in 2018, remember that he was not elected president. He was just transferred the the power from Fidel. So I, I think it's very optimistic to, to think that he would actually relinquish his power. But I what is optimistic, Fidel Castro, when he died, he was 90 years old. Raul Castro is 85. Um, so they're very old. Both of them were, are very old. Fidel was very old. Um, but I think what's going to be interesting is, you know, seeing the celebrations that are occurring in Miami or around the country and even in other parts of the world is a renewed sense of hope. You know, the Cuban-American community, you know, be it that your parents might be Cuban or your grandparents are Cuban. I saw a lot of signs over the weekend that really talked about honoring a parents, of you know, parents, aunts, uncles, their legacy of what it is that they were really, what they risked their life for if they came um, in a very dangerous form. Some come by way of a uh, unconventional boat. Um, some are trucks. Others are forms of rafts. Um, others are just, you know, just trying to swim. But I mean, that does not prove effective. And so I think, again, the renewed sense of hope of really seeing, you know, hey, one day we can potentially go back to see where our parents, I would love to you know, personally, I would love to see where my dad was raised. 
um, you know, and spent 19 years of his life. But the truth of the matter is that he's now spent more time out of his country than in his, you know, than than now, which is now the United States. And so he likes to say that the United States was his adopted parent that took him in when when uh, his parent kicked him out. And so I think what's going to be interesting is to see that renewed sense of hope, what true liberty means, and also freedom. You know, you have a lot of Cubans. I've met so many in the exiled community in Miami, Florida, who say, you know, talking about their their family members being political prisoners, that they've been, you know, they were fighting for religious liberty, that they were fighting for freedom of speech. And I think what you're going to see is actually an urgency of wanting to do the same, you know, and, and showcasing to other people around the world, not just the Cuban people who are oppressed, but to showcasing around the world that you could still fight for religious freedom, you could still fight for free speech, um, and the ability to talk about, you know, differences of opinions, you know, when it comes down to political ideology. You know, what ended up happening is that a lot of people got arrested and thrown into prisons because they disagreed with the direction that Fidel Castro was going in. And you would hear a lot of people saying that they would hear firing squads right outside their door. And so what's unfortunate is that, you know, we're starting to see um, people revert to, you know, uh, you know, you can't say these, I guess the political correctness of you can't say certain things because it's going to offend. And, and in turn, we shouldn't be talking about things that we disagree about. But in turn, this country was really built on and accepted people who them out because they were doing that. And I think we want to be going back to the free speech, religious liberty, you know, and truly fighting for um, liberty and freedom. I couldn't have said it better myself. That was such a a beautiful and eloquent way of of sharing a not only a story but also to a cry. And my question for you it's it's not a simple one and I don't expect you to have a comprehensive answer, but as as a millennial, how can we translate what's happening in Cuba right now into a message that our generation truly does understand and appreciate? this freedom that we that we enjoy here in the United States. You're talking about a revolution in Cuba that happened that punished free speech when we see on college campuses and on the streets of New York and Los Angeles and Portland people who are punishing others who differ in opinion, where we're a generation that is unfortunately known as, you know, the the trophy generation and the generation that has safe spaces on campus. So how do we make sure that our generation does not lose out on this appreciation of freedom and for what it means for, for us and our future? You know, one thing that our generation is really known for doing is talking about themselves. But my recommendation is to ask questions about our parents, you know, from our grandparents, and listen to stories of what it was really like to live in a totalitarian state or in a communist regime. And I think, you know, when we start meeting with people from Russia or Cuba or even Venezuela, in today's day and age, that you're able truly to see that if the government controls and dictates everything, that you're really losing your freedom and liberties um, slowly but surely. So on college campuses today, what I would recommend is to continue having these conversations, but also to read about the political theory um, and action and put into practice uh, over the last, 
let's just go in regards to five decades because that's how long Fidel Castro was in uh, this control, and he was a truly he was truly a tyrant and a and a murderer. And so what you end up seeing is that people are talking about these stories, but it's not something that is three generations away. It was it was only one generation away. My dad would tell me stories. Um, and so what I would recommend to our generation is to ask questions. Those people who have lived in a different country and that fled uh, looking for political asylum or looking for, um, you know, for freedom to ask questions because we have it in the United States with this, this incredible freedom. Um, we have a really great opportunity to, to spread the message of hope that we do and using all of the the mediums that we have at our fingertips from technology and social media, but to the networks of our friends and that story-based truth-telling that you're talking about is so powerful. I am remembering standing in a crowd outside of the San Francisco City Hall, which is a beautiful building uh, a number of years ago, And there was a protest taking place and there were a group of young people, they couldn't have been much uh, younger than myself, who were protesting. And and I'm not quite sure they even knew what they were protesting, but they said over and over, what do we want? Revolution. When do we want it? Now. And they said it over and over and over again. And I was standing there and a woman, an older woman, she was in her 70s came up to me and in a very thick Ukrainian accent, she said, they don't know what they're asking. And we had a conversation later about it because she had come from the former Soviet Union and she said, I remember what revolution looks like and feels like and smells like, and that is not what they want. And I thought, wow, if we can just translate those experiences, exactly what you're talking about, into something that our generation can understand. What a powerful message that would be. So I have here my last question for you, and it's based off your Facebook post. Again, I'm stalking you a little bit, but I think you made such a, a profound statement here, but you, you quoted out of Proverbs, out of Proverbs 11.10, you said, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Why did you choose that verse? I think a lot of people are questioning why people are rejoicing on the streets, especially in Miami, Florida. And what I wanted to really showcase is that, you know, it, it, it's not that we're rejoicing for someone's death. And, you know, I truly hope that he's re- he repented and does his last minutes. Um, but when it, he really was a very wicked person when he was, uh, in control of especially the Cuban, the Cuban people. And so I think what I wanted to really highlight was the fact that there is renewed hope, um, you know, and overall that God is in control, that people can still rejoice in regards to the overall opportunity and optimism that one has. Well, I really appreciate your, your standing up for truth and your being willing to, to share your story uh, on social media for letting me social stalk you, uh, but also too just for what for what it represents. And I'm so thankful that you joined us on your on the show today. 
and uh, just want to acknowledge you for you and your work at the Heritage Foundation for investing in our generation, um, but really being a leader of leaders. So we cannot wait to continue following your career success. And uh, again, thanks for joining us here on Up Next.